Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. I've invited a special person to interview and for you to learn from. I have with me Jill Johnson Young. She's a licensed clinical social worker in Riverside and she's also a certified grief recovery facilitator and the founder of Your Path Through Grief. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So I know we usually see each other in person. So one of the reasons why I invited you on is because of your story. And, and I think that what you do impacts therapists clinically, giving them tools for helping their clients through grief, but also speaks to the therapist who is grieving. And, um, and this is all about how our stories influence the building of our businesses and how when we share those stories, how it can really impact and shape our practice and, and how we help others. So I'm wondering, can you give a little bit of history? I mean, you've been in this field for a very long time. Um, you're definitely an expert in grief. And so how did it come about that you started working in the grief work? I have been a social worker longer than a lot of therapists I know have been here. I know. Oh, there you go. I've earned my, my gray hairs there. Um, but part of my, um, my work life has been hospice. I'm a medical social worker for hospice. I did that in two states for over a decade, um, both in California and Florida. And I also did a lot of adoption work, which is inherently grief and loss stuff. Because when kids are losing their families and getting a new family, there's a lot of loss there. And then when we opened our practice, it was literally right after the death of my first wife, Linda, who died of pulmonary fibrosis in 2010. And um, we started our, practice, our private practice maybe six months after that. No. Not even that. Not even that. And then um, I remarried um, her hospice nurse because she told me to marry the, her hospice nurse. She set me up. She told the entire family that I was supposed to marry the hospice nurse. I didn't know this part of your You didn't show. know that part? No. I keep mine close. So what happened was Linda was an, an old ER nurse, and she really liked nurses who learned from the startup. And so Casper was, became a friend in addition to being a nurse for her. And while I was off at work seeing um, doing adoptions, Casper was stopping by and having lunch with her, and they were drinking chocolate sodas together. And they formed a fast friendship, and she became part of the fabric of the family while Linda was dying. Mm. And Linda told virtually everyone who would listen that this is what she wanted, that she didn't want to leave me alone, mm. partly because we had two kids, and I was adopting a third one at that moment, who was 16. And so after Linda's death, actually it turned out she was right, and Casper and I um, ended up together, and we had six fabulous months. And then while we were in Hawaii, she started with the symptoms of Lewy body dementia. Mm. And we didn't know that's what it was because Lewy body is so frequently misdiagnosed. Yeah. And she died three years later. So oh. before I was 50, I'd been widowed twice. Mm. And now I'm married to um, the woman who was the mortician for both of them. Because she became a friend of the family, so <laughs> I keep my people close. <laughs> <laughs> and death and dying is kind of partly what the family business is. Yeah, you know. And I grew up with a lot of older relatives. My dad was um, senior to my mom, and so a lot of my relatives were older. So 
for us, death and dying was just part of life. Pets died, you had funerals, grandparents died, you went to funerals. It was, that was a normal for me. And it's surprisingly not normal for a lot of people. You now, why that? do you think that is? I think it's, we've kept it so sanitized that we go to hospitals and people die there. Or if someone's dying at home, you get to choose not to go unless you're really, really immediate family or happen to live there so you can't escape. Mm-hmm. And then we have these nice little funerals and then it's all over with. And there's not a lot of recognition in our broader culture, especially in the United States, that grief goes on um, for a time and that it's a process and it's work. And we don't talk about death and dying. When I was at the really big conference last month in Anaheim, I had more therapists come by and tell me that they were afraid to talk about death and and grief with their clients Mm -hmm. or tell me their own grief stories that they weren't done with um, or about therapists that they'd gone to see who clearly weren't comfortable with death and grief. Mm -hmm. I saw a couple of those myself. Um, I had one who told me that she um, thought probably I'd caused this for myself because I'd remarried too soon and I hadn't had Casper's health checked out before she, we got together. <laughs> so we, we just are not comfortable as a, as a country and as a society with the concept of people dying and right. sitting with someone while they're dying is not something a lot of people have done. Right. I find it to be normal. I've done it hundreds of times. Yeah. And professionally. And to me, that's kind of a sacred moment and you get to be part of something really special. Yeah. And I appreciate not only like your clinical experience, but how much grief you have recovered from with losing two wives in such a short span of time and how that has turned into what you're doing now. So is that, when did you start your path to grief? I started that um, two and a half years ago when we were at the conference together. And Mm -hmm. it was something I'd wanted to do because Mm -hmm. there are so many folks who don't have the right language for grief Mm -hmm. and who truly still hang on to that idea that grief has five stages. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. That was actually for people who were dying, not for people who were grieving. Mm -hmm. It's anticipatory grief. Um, And there are no nice, neat, linear stages. And In the work I did with hospice, I found so many people who were both in the losing process and the post-loss process who didn't have permission to do things their way. Um, And they listened to the rules they were being told. Mm -hmm. And they were quiet when they were being told things that were hurtful and they didn't have a place to take that. Right. So I really wanted a safe space for folks to be able to go to where their friends and family would hear how they were impacting the grieving person in a negative way. Because people who are grieving still, in, we, we tend to have people come up to us and say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, this really hurts me so much. I miss them so much. And the griever automatically goes from the griever who should be in the center of it to the caretaker reaching out to support more people. Mm-hmm. And they need to be given permission to say, you know, I'm grieving and I'm really sorry that you're missing them too. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. and shut that down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they need to know there are safe people they can go to and talk about. This is hard, and but I want to get through it, mm-hmm. which is why I with my clients. When they come in my door here at the office and I, we talk about the grief process, we spend a lot of time with holding space and telling story and talking about the negative stuff they've heard. But then also focusing on grief doesn't have to take forever. 
the, the intense grief that you're working through what's left over with that relationship, that's what you work on. And then the missing, that goes with you, but it's not nearly as intense. And you can start learning to bring in the happy. And it's really okay to smile while you're grieving. Mm-hmm. And that's something therapists don't always recognize. Mm-hmm. When a therapist is grieving themselves, it's really hard for them to be able to focus on clients when their head is still wrapped up. They need to know how grief impacts them because it, it impacts us physically, emotionally, cognitively. Yeah. It, it touches every part of who you are. I, I was sharing with you before we started recording about how I've been noticing on online forums, several therapists I know quite well who have had some serious recent losses, you know, very like a spouse, a young child. And that confusion that comes up about, I'm a caretaker, I have a practice, I have clients to see, what do I do? And there's this it's disorienting because they're in their own shock and just overwhelm. Mm -hmm. What would you want to say to therapists who are experiencing loss, going through grief that are also in active in their work and can't leave their practices because that's how we pay our bills. Yeah. What you do is, or in my experience, what you do is you try to watch the number of hours you're putting in so that you're not overwhelming yourself more. You need to be really aware that grief actually does cause cognitive changes. It puts your brain in a sense that you're kind of wrapped in cotton batting. It makes us... That makes so much sense when you say that. I'm like, yes, that's what it is. Wow. On my my website, I have a couple videos. That's totally it. When you get into car accidents, it's when you get tickets, it's when you can't remember to pay bills. And it's hard to remember appointments. And so you have to use a lot of juggling techniques to make sure you're keeping yourself on track. So if you are someone who normally uses your phone to track your appointments, probably you need a paper calendar to look at and remind yourself where you're supposed to be. Uh You need to make sure that I know we all tell our clients to journal. Well, we don't do that so well ourselves. And we all know it. Raise your hand. Everybody knows it. And I don't is- tell my clients to journal for this reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm raising my hand if you're listening. So. There you go. Because that's what you think. Grief requires some journaling or some writing or some yeah. kind of, some of expression. And it also means that you need to download your brain because your brain does feel like it's kind of spinning in circles. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of self-care. You want to make sure that you're not taking on new clients who are high intensity. For at least a while, there's nothing wrong with referring out. Yeah. You're doing yourself a favor and you're serving the client better. Um, if you're in the pre-loss process, if you're caregiving and you're taking care of someone, you want to make sure you're using your tribe or your circle to support you so that you're not you're having your mind halfway at home and halfway at the office. While you're at the office, you're focused. And while you're at home, you're not at the office. So you're not splitting yourself up. Mm-hmm. It it can be hard to do, but you have to give yourself permission also to make sure you can pay the bills and take care of your family. What was that like to start a business six months? What was it like to start a business six months after? After? Yeah. While dating, while dating my, my new wife. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crazy, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But Um, I kind of wonder 
if you are more prepared because of your experience and your passion for grief work, did that help in a way? But I just, I had the luxury of when Linda was um, sick, she was sick for three and a half years. She had pulmonary fibrosis, which is a disease that either kills you very quickly or you get no more than five years. We got past the very quickly, but we didn't get the five years. And 10 years before that, we went through breast cancer that was stage three metastatic. And I was told one July she'd be dead by December. So we'd already done a lot of grieving. We'd said goodbye. She worked nights. So when I was at home at night and she had left work, we spent literally every night talking virtually all night. Mm. And we did the grief work together and said the goodbyes mostly before she died. And the one thing that she did want was for me to get that private practice open. She wanted me to marry Casper, get the private practice open, pay off the house and make sure the kids all graduated high school and about three more pages worth of stuff. <laughs> Very long to do list. Hmm. I'm almost done with it. Awesome. <laughs> almost. So it was actually kind of a fulfilling the, the, the dream that she had because hmm. she helped put me through grad school hmm. years before that. And so it was partly a, a dedication to her memory. Mm-hmm. And then when Casper started to get sick, I could take her with me to the office and put her in one of our side rooms when she was um, not able to be left at home alone, but didn't need to have me with her around the clock so I could keep an eye on her, but still see clients. So it, the practice actually was very beneficial to me. Mm. It, it was hard to go back to work after both after Casper died, only because I had to go back to work at hospice the very next day. Mm. Because I had dying clients. <laughs> but and there's a certain part of you have to do what you have to do. And you show up and you fake it until you make it. And then you go home and let yourself fall apart. Mm. And there's, there's, there's a lot of that that goes on in the early grief process. And one of the things I do know about you, and I see you living out loud very well, is your sense of community. Mm-hmm. You have a strong support system. Um, of colleagues, family, church people. I mean, it's, you're surrounded. It seems. I have a tribe. Yes. yes. It's yeah. very overwhelming when you marry me to meet my tribe. <laughs> uh-huh. There are a lot. It's <laughs> really good. Yes. And there's a lot of pluses, you know, we've, we've got two new grandchildren. And uh-huh. So there's the life goes on piece. Yeah. But yeah. We have a lot of people around and when I'm cooking Christmas, it's 35 people. Yeah. We do things at the office. We have a lot of people. So I'm yes. very blessed in that way. I went to one of your office openings and I met most family members and I mean, it's a tight group. It's really beautiful. And um, I think that that's something that many therapists struggle with in private practice is the isolation piece. So then when they do hit a place in their life of grief, um, it kind of makes it even more intense because they don't have that support. Yeah. Or they don't want to share because they've been brought up in a family where you don't share. Yeah. And you really have to find a place where you can. And again, that's why I did the online because you can find those secret places online on Facebook and talk to other people and the rest of your planet can't see what you're saying. Yeah. And that's really helpful. Yeah. We, we, there's dementia groups like that. I even made a secret group called 
keeping track of Margaret because my mom is now 81 and sometimes disappears. So we have a group of us who keep track of her online that way. Mm. I think you've got to be able to have your, your find your people and bring them in and keep them close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you share more about what you're doing in Path to Grief and how it can help therapists both personally and on the clinical side? Well, your Path to Grief is an online year-long grief recovery and support program. So it has a workbook, um, which is downloadable, and it has videos that go up frequently, and it has a blog once a week for those who are recovering, and it also has a page just for therapists that's accessible at no cost that talks about what it's like to work with dying clients and with grieving clients Mm -hmm. to normalize that, to give them the language for it to um, make suggestions as to what things clients might need from them or might not, what things not to say, which is really important. And there are going to be a few more blogs about that. Because mm. if, if you don't have the language, you don't know what to say. And grad school doesn't cover this stuff. Yeah. There, there is no grief class in grad school. And there should be. So it also has um, a secret online Facebook group that you only get into when we put you in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, only other people who are grieving can get in there and it has um, links to different resources so it's, it's got a lot that goes on and then it's got a daily email for a full year mm. written by a therapist that would be me um, <laughs> says this is probably where you are right now here's some things you might be experiencing here's some ideas um, it's not happy thoughts it's reality thoughts um, it also has kind of a quirky sense of humor in it because that's me (laughs) and I think if you're grieving you still ought to be able to laugh out loud and have some fun Mm -hmm. and so it's got some of that in there too but it's for therapists it's designed to educate them it's also designed to support them and um, have the ability to track me down through my email on that page Mm -hmm. so if they suggestions in terms of working with clients they can and several of them have done that already do you ever do consultation like can they Yes. Work with you if they have a case and they're wanting to become more help helpful. Yes. <laughs> Raise the white flag. Yes, I will answer. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is why I am so excited to share you because <laughs> that if you have clients that are going through grief or if you're going through grief, there's something there for you. Or if you're a therapist who has grieving clients, there's something there for you too. So um, any last thoughts that you have for therapists who are working with grieving clients? What do you want them to know? I want them to know that first few appointment time should be hold space. You don't need to do a full psychosocial. If you just let them tell their story, it's going to all come through anyway, I promise you. Mm-hmm. You could do an entire genogram just listening to somebody talking about their loss. Mm-hmm. So make it informal and let them just share. They need a safe space to do that. Mm-hmm. And then ask them what they've heard that didn't help and let them tell you because then you'll hear the words you should never say. Mm-hmm. And make sure you write it down. And then be prepared to work with your client on understanding what grief does to them so that you're normalizing their experience. You know, I know you want carbs. Go ahead and eat the carbs, but please have some broccoli. Um, I know you're not sleeping. I'm not going to tell you 
to do sleep architecture and go to sleep at 10 o'clock because at two o'clock you're going to be awake. Every grieving person is awake at 2 a.m. without fail. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to sleep in their own bed if the person who died used to sleep next to them. They're going to sleep in the lazy boy or on the couch. And they need to hear that that's really okay. So normalize what they're experiencing and don't give them more to feel guilty about. And remind them that the sun is still outside and they need to go get some of that. And it's okay if they smile, mm-hmm. but it's also okay if they cry. Mm-hmm. And then also make sure you're doing that depression assessment because if there's a family history depression, we can trigger it. But don't pathologize grief. Grief is a really normal reaction to a really terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not a pathology, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. But we need to watch for the clinical signs of depression too. Mm-hmm. I love your wisdom. And honestly, I'm sure anyone who's watching or listening can see your heart for this work. And when I ran into you at Evolution of Psychotherapy, I was like, we need need to have you on. (laughs) Because um, I know you've been developing this over the years. And I think it is such a beautiful uh, testament to what you know and been through and kind of your calling. It uh, is. It's yeah. I am. You're good at it, honestly. <laughs> um, and so my hope is that each of us listening seeks to become better helpers with grief and also seeks to understand our own. I mean, when you said like, ask what people have told you, I have a laundry list, you right. know, and it's funny what sticks. Right. Um, and so yeah, I have five-year-olds who can tell me what they have heard that they didn't like. <laughs> and I get calls sometimes from parents saying, my, my spouse just died, the funeral's tomorrow, what do I do with my kid? And so we, we talk about those things too. Yeah, take them to the funeral, but don't make them touch the body. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Be there with them and let, make it normal. Yeah. And when the cat dies, don't tell them the cat ran away. <laughs> bury, <laughs> right. bury the cat, have a funeral. Yeah. So if people want to reach you, um, what's the best way for them to reach out and to check out Your Path to Grief? Your Path Through Grief is located at yourpaththroughgrief.com. Just stick them all together with a .com at the end. (laughs) And you can reach me on email at my name, Jill Johnson Young at Gmail. Um, And you can also also find me at centralcounselingservices.com. Yeah. And, and you can Google me because I show up a lot sometimes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you guys have questions or comments, please post them in the blog or reach out to Jill. She's a great resource. She's worth the investment and consultation if you need that. And um, if you're also looking for resources, um, she has a lot out there. So Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you, Jill. Uh, You too. All All right. right. Take good care.